You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We are in 1 Samuel once again, and we are in chapter 8, beginning in chapter 8. And I want to do a, a kind of an overview of what has transpired in this book so far, just a condensed overview, so we see how God has worked in individuals uh, as he's bringing forth something different that has not yet been a part of Israel's leadership. So before we start, let's open in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for the privilege of gathering together collectively. We thank you for the privilege of your word. And Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son that has provided the way of salvation by grace through faith. And we just praise you and ask that you'd be glorified as your word is taught today throughout all the classes and as your word is preached. We just pray that we would receive your word and that we would be able to, by your Holy Spirit, participate and obey your word. We just give you thanks now and pray that you'd guide us, illuminate this text. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the great elements of the book of 1 Samuel is the gradual but orderly progression from the period of Israel's leadership. In the first seven chapters, this gives us Samuel's birth, also the work of God in Samuel's life, both spiritually and physically. Now, we've seen Samuel serving under the high priest Eli in Shiloh at the tabernacle, which is where they offered prayers and sacrifices and oversight of the Ark of the Covenant when it was at Shiloh. And we also know that uh, under Eli's period that his sons were worthless men. They did not know God and they will talk a little bit more about that as we go through this. Samuel was given a prophetic message from God in which he was going to carry out just punishment on Hophni and Phinehas, that's Eli's wicked and derelict sons. We see God's work in this and also in his final role, as judge over Israel. The Ark of the Covenant functions in the first three chapters as a focal point. The Ark of the Covenant, as you remember, is a representation of Jehovah God being a part of Israel. He was their God. They were his people. And the representation of that is in the Ark of the Covenant. 
The miraculous return of the ark. Remember, there was a war. They took the ark in the battle. The Philistine captured it. And then God brought plagues upon them. It went from city to city, five different cities. They finally returned it. And then it was sent to be cared for at Kiriath Jiriam. And where they kept it and cared for it and treated it with a godly reverence that it should have had. We're able to see the first seven chapters, Samuel, the importance of repentance and turning to God. Now, as we, many of you go through the Pentateuch or have been going through the Bible, you'll see throughout the Pentateuch and the first several books before we get to Samuel, the essence of the rebellion of the Israelites. They would rebel. God would bring a judgment upon them. They would repent. He would bless them. Then they turn around and do the same thing all over again. They turn from God. And here in Samuel, they're actually following idols. They've completely rejected Jehovah God as their God. The whole rest of the book of Samuel is now focused on the establishment of the period of kings. Though there are some interesting particulars about Samuel throughout 1 Samuel, until we get to the latter chapters of 1 Samuel, but the focus now is on the transition from Israel being led by a judge to now being led by a king. So let's go to verse 1 in chapter 8. And we're going to read through verse 12. And it came about when Samuel was old that he had appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in the ways but took, turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they told him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations." But this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day. And in that day, they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now listen. Now then listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king 
who will reign over them. Verse 10, so Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for the chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed of all your vineyards and will give to his officials and to his servants. We'll stop there. But we're starting to get the picture here. So let's take a deeper look at this. What is happening here? Verse 1, we find Samuel has reached the point in life where he's no longer actively ruling as a judge over Israel. Now, some scholars say that Samuel was approximately 60 years old at this point. The Talmud, however, states that Samuel was only 52 years old when Samuel was appointed his sons uh, as judge over Israel. Other ancient documents within the Hebrew records indicate that Samuel could have been approximately 72 years old at this point. There is no common agreement amongst the Hebrew scholars of his precise age that Samuel was at this point in life. Some Hebrew historians agree that it's quite possible that Samuel may have been in his 70s, and they reason this because he was a Nazarite and lived a very temperate lifestyle. So he had a very healthy diet, and he could have been very healthy, and at this point been perhaps around 70 years old. Remember in chapter 4, it reveals that Eli was 98 years old. So for a priest who lives a temperate life, their age could have been much higher. Whatever the age of Samuel, at this point, he was old. Kind of like me. Now the name Joel, his son's, means Jehovah God. The name of Abijah means my father is the Lord. Beersheba was not near any of the places which Samuel traveled throughout his annual circuit. Beersheba was located down in the extreme south, southern border. Oh, (laughs) thought you were asking a question, sorry. So they wanted some presence there. They wanted, he wanted his sons there for the purpose that the Philistines would know that the Israelites had a judge in their border land. 
That was the purpose. Verse verse 3, his sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside to dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. What a sad commentary. Here's a man, Samuel, who lived a godly life and was dedicated to the Lord at birth. He has, at this point, gotten old. His sons were men. And now they turned aside after dishonest gain for money. They were greedy. Though this seems to be a little bit of a similar pattern, uh, the upbringing of Eli's sons, who were given charge over the sacrificial offerings at the tabernacle on Shiloh, but we read in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verses 12 through 17, the sins of Eli's sons included that of lascivious deeds as well as dereliction of their priestly duties at the tabernacle in which they stole choice meat, which was supposed to be offered as burnt offerings, as well as sexual sins they committed against the women who were taking care and serving in the doorway of the tent of meeting. When Eli was made aware of this, what did he do? You remember that? What was Eli's response? Surely you remember. What did he do when he heard that his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had done these grievous sins. Well, if you don't recall, he went to them and he rebuked them. He said, how could you do this? You may be forgiven as a sin against man, but they sinned against God. But what should he have done according to Levitical law? He should have had them stoned. They blasphemed God. He should have had his sons stoned. They should have gathered the men of Israel, revealed their sin, and then stoned them to death. As we think about this, he was derelict in that. And of course, we know that the Lord spoke to Samuel. He prophesied what he was going to do to Eli's sons. He also said that the priesthood would never remain in Eli's heritage. It was taken from him because of this horrible sin that his sons had committed in which he did not properly punish them. In the Septuagint of that passage in chapter 3, it says his sons... Blaspheme God. Well, blasphemy was an offense worthy of death. In Leviticus 24, 16, we read this. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord will surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native. When he blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. So, 
That should have been what Eli carried out. Samuel's own administration of justice had been upright, and he was not even aware how corrupt his sons were. So when given the responsibility as judges, we should remember the words of Ezekiel 18, 1 through 3. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat the grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall surely not go, <clears throat> surely not use this proverb in Israel any longer. Behold, all the sons are mine, the soul of the father as well, as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. So in other words, those who commit the sin are the ones responsible for their sin. They can't. They were blaming their fathers and their forefathers for their own sin. Sounds pretty familiar. They cast blame on someone else. That started all the way back in the garden, did it not? Well, it was this woman you gave me, Lord. Well, it was the serpent that deceived me. So as we think of this, we recognize Samuel's reputation throughout the land was one of a godly man, and yet he wasn't even aware of what his sons were doing until it was brought to his attention. All the Reformed scholars uh, state that Samuel had carried out his roles as priest, prophet, and judge with reverence to God, and that he served with the utmost integrity throughout all his life, and he had displayed faithfulness to God as well as to Israel. However, because of Samuel's son's perversion of justice, this would have been the impetus for the elders of Israel to request Samuel to appoint a king as ruler over Israel. So let's look at... Verse 5, as we continue. And they said to him, well, let's back up to 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6, but the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when he heard them what they said. So as we see the elders coming to him, these complaints must have came from the Israelites. The elders heard about it, and what do they do? They go and approach Samuel. Now, this is actually the last time we heard about elders was in Deuteronomy chapter 31. We haven't heard the elders as a group since then. And what was that? That was in 31.28 of Deuteronomy. It says this, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and the officers, that I might speak with these in their hearing, and call the heavens 
and the earth to witness against them. But now they gather together as a ruling council or official delegation to address the problem with Samuel. The term elders was sometimes referred to in the Old Testament as the men who made up the fathers or heads of the family. But there was another more formal role for elders. The formal role for the elders in the Old Testament, they were responsible for overseeing the Israelites, making sure that they carried out the ceremonial functions of the law as well as all of the Levitical law. That was their responsibility throughout Israel. The elders came to Samuel after the Israelites had complained about the dishonest behavior of Samuel's sons, who were corrupt and took bribes. These two sons, Joel and Abijah, did not walk in Samuel's ways. What a disappointment. That must have been so much pain for Samuel to hear this, first of all, and then to say, now we're going to bring a king, just like all the other nations. Would have been like a knife in his heart. Yes, Brian. No. Did you all hear the statement that Brian stated? This portion of history was a dark period of the Israelites. They were rebellious and they were sinning against the God who loved them, protected them, provided for them, and they turned against him and turned to idols. He also equated that, where is our country today? What have we done in America? We turn from God. We basically, people turn from God and worship idols. They kill children and think nothing of it, but they even profit off of these unborn children or even coming to full birth, unheard of in our history. And yet that is the place that we are. And it results in the spiritual side of what they're doing. They hate God. They also hate Christians. And they don't even want Jesus Christ's name mentioned anywhere. They don't want God's word in their schools. They don't want anything to do with Christians. That's the state of this country. Good point. Yes. Yes. Yeah, what Mike said, just to repeat the uh, statement by Mike, he said that this time in our country, the, everything has been taken away from the true uh, essence of Christianity, and now there's no moral essence in our, our country. It isn't that we're trying to moralize our country. We're called to evangelize the lost. And we don't have to look for a moral leader. We have to look at presenting the gospel to the world. We're going to get more into this in just a, later on in this passage. Good point. The Israelites were in such a state of unrepentant sin 
that rather than seeking God's face in humility and prayer, they called upon the elders and demanded a king, just like all the pagan nations, because of what Joel and Abijah had done. Now, the elders did not try to call the people to repentance. So what's that show about the elders at this point in Israel? They were just as sinful. It does not record that they stopped and sought God's face in prayer for direction. No, they listened to the people, went directly to Samuel, and said, this is what they demand. So now we can understand a little by why this distressed Samuel. Verse 6, But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel was one of the greatest of the Bible in the Old Testament. He judged Israel all his days. In 1 Samuel 7.15, he played historically a pivotal role in the nation's transition from tribal confederation to a monarchy. The years after his great victory over the Philistines, the Israelites had a period of peace, prosperity, but there was one problem. Samuel was a mortal man, and since now he's older, the people of Israel were demanding a king. This was truly displeasing to Samuel. The response of Samuel gives evidence of his human emotion as well as his love and trust for God. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He wasn't going to turn to the wall and say, what have they done? He sought God in prayer. That was his immediate response. Yes, the pain was there. It said this displeased him. It was probably like a knife in him. But he didn't try to make excuses for what had happened. He didn't try to defend himself. He went to God in prayer. He wanted God's direction. And that's what he's going to get. We find in chapter 25 on the account of Samuel's death and the response of the people of Israel at this point upon hearing that Samuel had died, it says this, Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness in Paran. The earnest response of the people at that point shows how much love that they had for Samuel. Samuel loved God, first of all, but he also loved Israel. He served God first and Israel as well. He wanted the Israelites to turn to God. He wanted them to repent. And he wanted them to be followers of God's word. But at this point, they were completely rebellious. As we consider the corrupt behavior of Samuel's sons, it did not reflect upon Samuel's lack of faithfulness to his God. 
these two sons whom Samuel had entrusted the responsibility of judging over the southern border were greedy, and they turned to corruption. There's no evidence of Samuel being complicit or in any way being negligent of guiding his sons. There's no excuse for the lack of oversight of not discerning what was going on. He should have found that out. But nevertheless, one commentator, which was quickly uh, rejected by all the Reformed commentators, said that, well, he might have been complicit. How could you even say that? That was rejected totally by all the other Reformed scholars. There may have been a powerful emotional response to the people of Israel's demands and request for a king because he had served them all his days. He loved them, and he wanted nothing but for them to live godly lives and to honor God with their lives. Samuel wasn't filled with jealousy or self-pity, but his immediate response was turning to God to find out what God wanted him to do. We may look at this point in history in which God knows that his people did not reject Samuel, but rather they rejected the God of Israel. How often do God's people carry on their own lives with their own plans and pursuits daily and carrying out their daily activities and not seek God. God does not rebuke Samuel. He points out to the people of Israel, they did not reject you, but they rejected me. He did that in kindness to Samuel so that Samuel would know that it wasn't your failure here. It was these people are rejecting me. It's actually a very powerful display of God's mercy as well as his grace towards his chosen people. He takes the people who have sinned throughout their lives, disobeyed God, and everything they do. And when we think of our salvation, we've done the same thing. We rejected God. We were God-haters. And God, in his mercy, grant us the grace and the ability to turn to him in salvation. Here, he's showing great kindness towards Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God answered the prayer of Samuel. The request of the people must be granted, even if it's a wrong purpose that they had for doing so. In itself, it was wrong. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The people of Israel did not want 
a theocratic king. God had provided everything. It wasn't that long ago they were held captive in Egypt. He miraculously brought them out. And now they turned and rejected the God of Israel. The people of Israel did not want a theocratic king whose first requirement would be to maintain the law. Deuteronomy 17, 14 says this, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set as a king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. That was in verses 18 through 20. Now it came, it it shall come to pass when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God being by carefully observing all the words of the law and the statutes that his heart may be filled and lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. That was the way God intended it. It wasn't wrong to have a king over Israel. It was completely sinful in the manner that they did so. The Israelites only wanted a soldier. They wanted an army. They wanted to put an end to the state of anarchy, They wanted just to be able to cultivate their fields, live in peace without any danger from being attacked by the Philistines or the Amorites. Their reasoning showed a great lack of trust and reverence for Jehovah. Yes? Right. So if I understand what you're saying is that God, of course, being sovereign, understood what Israel was going to do. And this was already planned long before Samuel became judge. So it wasn't that having a king over Israel was wrong, but it was ultimately the result of them rejecting the theocratic king, Jehovah, as their God and their king. Yes. Right, and this resulted because of their sin, and yet God had already made place for it in Deuteronomy, the verse, uh, the passage I just quoted, which also shows the essence of how everything was done by the law. What, what did they first do? They would write a copy of the law. They would read it daily. Think about that. Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, 
He was to live and rule according to God's law with justice and mercy and yet godly oversight. That was the design. And yet because of the Israelites' rebellion at this point, it came to pass as a result of their sin rather than the appointment that godly rulers made this decision. It came about because they rejected God and they wanted Samuel out. But the main idea here is they didn't reject Samuel. Samuel was God's vessel. They rejected Jehovah. That's the point you were making? They sinned. Exactly. This was the reason that at this point in history, it's now going to become a kingdom, a king rule, Israel. Like all the deeds, verse 8, which they had done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you. Look how kind that was to Samuel. He was, it had to be hurting here. He served all his days. And then to have him rebel, essentially, and send the elders to his home and say, we don't want you anymore. We want a king, just like all the rest of the nations. They didn't say, we want a king as it was given to us in the writings of Deuteronomy, one that would lead us with God's law. That isn't what they wanted. They wanted an army. They only cared about having victory in war. They only wanted to be in comfort and prosperity. They were thinking only of themselves. The Lord's answer was perhaps surprising since God did not seem indignant at all with Samuel regarding what happened. God had given him several replies. Now, I won't be able to make through all this, but first, he ministered to his servant Samuel by assuring him that the fault did not lie with him. Samuel did not fail Israel. The people were not rejecting him, as God pointed out in verse 7. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. The Israelites had rejected Jehovah from the time that they had been set free from bondage of the Egyptians and brought out of Egypt, even to this day, as this was penned. Israel's unbelief and rebellion were a reoccurring problem. Some of you just finished reading Judges. What was the cycle there? Sin, consequences, punishment, turn back to God. Cycle after cycle after cycle throughout the entire book. This should have been encouraging to all God's people as we think of how God handled this. He didn't rebuke, didn't even say anything about Samuel doing anything wrong. 
Nothing. He encouraged him. Second of all, he now is going to be kind enough and gracious enough to his people Israel to warn them. Okay, you want a king. You'll get a king. This is what's going to happen. This is what will be beginning next time. The consequences. Peter. The encouragement to Samuel was to let him know that it wasn't him that they were rejecting. Oh, evidently. No, that isn't the way God presented it to Samuel. He didn't say anything about his sons. He didn't say, well, because you have neglected your sons, they did this sin which brought reproach on Israel. He didn't say that. He did. He could have, but he knew that that wasn't Samuel's fault. They were accountable for their own sin. Remember what I just read earlier from Ezekiel. So it's important that we understand God loved Samuel. That was his vessel for that period. So he was kind enough to show him, Samuel, it's not you. They hate me. They rejected me. That makes sense? Okay. All right, we're going to stop here, but I want us to try to think about what this may mean in our lives. Do we reverence God? Do we give him the throne of our lives? God wants that. He wants us to yield to his word, to love him daily, and to reflect that in our lives. But he wants us in his word. That's the only way we can know how God wants us to live. But it's also the only way to have a deeper understanding of who God is what he has done. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.